0: I'm Philip Emagwale. back in 1989, I was in the news headlines and described as the African supercomputer genius that won top U.S. prize. I won that supercomputer prize for my contributions to the development of the computer. I won that prize because I challenged the orthodoxy of supercomputing only one thing, or solving only one problem at a time, or solving the toughest problems in a step-by-step fashion, I was the first person to figure out how to massively parallel process across one million processors. And how to solve a grand challenge problem, and how to solve the most challenging problems across a new internet that is a new supercomputer, and how to solve the toughest problems at the fastest supercomputer speeds. I've had the experience of each student of an entire school, writing a school report on my contributions to the development of the computer, and writing the school report a week before I visited their school. During my school visits, I advised the students that inventing a never-before-seen supercomputer is far more complicated than a science fair project. I explained to students that the fastest parallel supercomputer is defined across an ensemble of over 10 million processors that occupies the space of a soccer field. The fastest supercomputer in the world cost more than the annual budget of the 40 poorest nations in the world. For that reason, it's impossible for a student or his entire school or sometimes country of origin to assemble or program a supercomputer. On February 1, 1922, Parallel processing across a network of 64,000 human computers was published as a science fiction story. Back in 1958, the term parallel computer was first mentioned in the literature. Back in 1962, a four-processor supercomputer was manufactured At that time, harnessing the total computing power of 8 processors was perceived as the upper limit for all supercomputers. For 67 years, progress in the speed-up of parallel supercomputers stopped. Paradigm-shifting advances in supercomputing stopped because it was then impossible to solve a grand challenge problem and solve the problem by dividing the problem into a million or a billion smaller problems and then parallel supercomputing that grand challenge problem across a large ensemble of as many tightly coupled commodity off-the-shelf processors. That barrier against parallel processing lasted for 67 years and gave rise to the saying that parallel supercomputing is a beautiful theory that lacked an experimental confirmation. Put differently, the practical parallel supercomputer was a grand challenge, a science fiction, an idea and an idea that was not positively true. Solving real-world problems, such as forecasting the weather and doing so across millions of processors, was science fiction back in the 1980s and earlier. In a historic debate that occurred at a computer conference in Silicon Valley, California, and occurred back in April 18-20, to 1967, Jean Amdahl, the IBM supercomputer czar of Amdahl's Law's fame, defeated Daniel Slotnik. Jean Amdahl's Jean victory gave rise to the ubiquitous supercomputer term called Amdahl's Law. In plain language, Amdahl's Law decreed that Parallel supercomputing will forever remain a huge waste of everybody's time. Fast forward 22 years after Amda's law entered into supercomputer textbooks, I was in the news headlines because I discovered on July 4, 1989, that the supercomputer textbooks were wrong and that parallel supercomputing is not a waste of time. The new parallel supercomputer knowledge that I discovered is codified into every supercomputer that has been manufactured since 1989. In the fastest computing or supercomputing of 1989 and later, a large ensemble of processors are harnessed and used to solve real-world problems, and do so in parallel. Prior to my discovery of practical parallel supercomputing, processors that were not a member of an ensemble of processors, were harnessed and used to solve only one real-world problem at a time. After my discovery, Parallel Supercomputing became the paradigm-shifting technology that changed the way we look at the supercomputer. The supercomputer costs the budget of a small nation and has an impact on the world that is in proportion to its cost. The invention of the parallel supercomputer was the culmination of a seven-decade long journey that began as a science fiction story. That quest for the fastest supercomputer ended when I discovered how to solve in parallel one of the toughest problems arising in physics and mathematics. That science fiction that was first published on February 1, 1922 became a non-fiction during my parallel processing laboratory experiment that ended on my Eureka moment of 8.15 in the morning of the 4th of July, 1989, in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States. Looking across millions of years of evolution, working together, to solve a grand challenge problem is nothing new in the animal kingdom, where lions hunt in packs to kill an adult elephant. But solving the toughest problems arising at the crossroad, where physics, algebra, and calculus, and computing met, and solving them across a new internet brought authority and clarity that ushered a supercomputer that was never seen before and that made the set lines and that elevated the massively parallel supercomputer from fiction to non-fiction. Loosely speaking, parallel supercomputing is akin to multitasking with millions upon millions of processors. Humans want to be gods that perform organ transplants and IVF or in vitro fertilization and euthanasia or dignified death. I believe that the planetary-sized supercomputer that I first conceived in 1974 and that I described in my lectures of the early 1980s Will take us closer to creating the golden calf, the god that our post-human descendants of Yamidion will worship. Perhaps the God posthumans could try to revive as their all-powerful ruler, the deity that will control the minds of posthumans. The deity that could become the planetary superbrain of our million post-human descendants. My two test bed problems, we are grand challenge initial boundary value problems that arose from extreme scale computational fluid dynamics. In the general circulation modeling of the motions of fluids that enshroud the earth, three-dimensional circularity exists by definition, but in the simulation of the motions of the fleets inside a production oil field that is the size of a town, the crude oil injected water and natural gas that flows one mile deep and flows into and from each petroleum reservoir comes from the petroleum reservoirs that bounded it, except for the first and last petroleum reservoirs. Again, I visualized the entire oil field that I was simulating, and that is the size of a town as divided into 65,536 equal sized oil fields. Please allow me to introduce myself. On August 26, 2000, then U.S. President Bill Clinton talked about the contribution of Philip M. Aguale to the development of the computer. In the days following President Bill Clinton's televised speech, I was inundated with inquiries about my contribution to supercomputing. A few days later, the Guardian newspaper of Nigeria wrote an 8-page spread on my contributions to the development of the computer. Despite that 8-page newspaper profile, I needed 80,000 pages to fully tell my story. Where do I begin my story? Do I begin with the laws of physics, or do I begin with the technique of calculus, or do I begin with algebra that was the bridge between physics and calculus? At a scientific conference, I introduced myself as a large-scale computational algebraist that figured out How to Put Algebra on the World's Fastest Supercomputer and in Service to Physics and Calculus as well as to Society. My discovery of the parallel supercomputer that occurred on the 4th of July 1989 that made the news headlines broke new grounds because I was the first person to figure out how to harness a new internet that was a new global network of a million or even a billion commodity of the shelf processors that were tightly coupled and that were identical to each other. I figured out how to harness a billion processors and use them to solve the grand challenge problems that were once impossible to solve. That parallel supercomputer that was then science fiction became a reality and a new computing machinery that was not a computer per se, but that was a new internet de facto. The important lesson is this. We cannot invent a new computer without also inventing a new computer science. Nor can we invent a new calculus without also extending the frontiers of knowledge and doing so At the interdisciplinary crossroad where mathematics and physics met. The genius is the ordinary person that found the extraordinary in the ordinary, and in her grand challenge, and her grand challenge is to solve the toughest problem and do so as if it wasn't tough. Back in 1989, I was in the news headlines because I discovered that the massively parallel supercomputer is a tool that makes it possible for us to ask a grand challenge question and get the answer in only one day, instead of in a thousand centuries. In computational physics. A problem that takes 180 years of time to solution is a grand challenge problem. That computation intensive problem is solvable in 180 years, but is unsolvable in only one day. In supercomputing, the grand challenge is a problem that traverses the frontiers of the fields of mathematics, physics, and computer science. The grand challenge is a problem such as global warming that is defined by the public or a question that society wants to be answered now. In my supercomputing quest, For how to solve the grand challenge problem, I discovered how to lift calculus out of the blackboard and into the motherboard and across a new internet that I visualized as a new global network of processors that is a new computer de facto. I discovered how to lift calculus out of the mathematics textbook, or the Wyatt and Jam examinations, and how to put calculus into the mild-deep oil fields that each occupy the space of a town in the Niger Delta region of Southeastern Nigeria. As a research supercomputer scientist, I see myself as a hunter or a predator. And my prey is the unknown. My quest is to know something nobody else knows. Back in 1989, The foremost vector supercomputer scientists couldn't understand how I parallel processed across a new internet, that is a new global network of 65,536 tightly coupled and identical processors. They couldn't understand how I was able to harness that new internet and use that new technology to record the highest speed increase of a factor of... 65,536, and record the fastest supercomputer speed that made the news headlines. At first, my massively parallel-processed supercomputer experimental results of the 4th of July was rejected as a quote-unquote terrible mistake. After two months of rejections, and on September 1, 1989, I took my discovery of practical parallel supercomputing to a 15-day hands-on vector supercomputing workshop that took place in the largest national laboratory in the Midwest region of the United States. That national lab was in Chicago, Illinois. I was invited to Chicago because the parallel supercomputer could become the enabling technology that must be harnessed when applying the computation-intensive mathematical physics that must be used to foresee natural hazards that threaten lives and livelihoods, as well as foresee long-term hazards such as global warming that threatens the health of planet earth. The parallel supercomputer is the vital technology that must be used to supply timely, relevant, and useful information about the global motions of the fluids that enshroud planet earth. The extraordinary importance of that supercomputer hopeful was the reason I was invited to the supercomputer workshop that was sponsored by the United States Department of Energy and that was held in the 15 days, inclusive of September 1 to 15, 1989. On my first day at that supercomputer workshop, I was mocked and ridiculed. Because I claimed that I could parallel process across a new internet, that is a new global network of 65,536 commodity processors that were identical to each other. I was offhandedly dismissed because I also claimed that I recorded the highest parallel processed speed increase. I recorded the fastest supercomputer speed in 1989 and I did so when everybody said that my speed was impossible to attain across the slowest processors in the world. But as that supercomputer workshop progressed, the supercomputer instructors learned that I had been supercomputing since. June 20, 1974, in Covallis Oregon. They learned that I knew more about the parallel supercomputer than any supercomputer scientist knew. At that workshop, I gained credibility as an expert in parallel supercomputing. With each day that passed, I noticed that I was getting fewer and fewer mockeries of my parallel supercomputer discovery. By the 15th and last day of that supercomputer workshop, the majority of the attendees became convinced that I had achieved a breakthrough in parallel supercomputing. Yet, the few daysayers at that 15-day workshop taunted me to submit my parallel supercomputer calculations to the four supercomputer scientists and judges that award the top prize in the field of supercomputing. Five months later, one of those naysayers called to congratulate me after he read the story about the African supercomputer genius that won the top U.S. prize. In retrospect, the rejections of my proof of principle of 1989 and of my experimental discovery of proof of principle of 1982 and of my experimental discovery of 1989 of the parallel supercomputer gave me strict cred as the inventor of practical parallel supercomputing. I presented my proof of principle in November 1982, and I did so at a conference auditorium that was a short walk from the White House in Washington, D.C. The rejection that occurred on July 4, 1989, of my discovery of practical parallel supercomputing Proof that I invented a new technology that was vital to the computer and to the supercomputer. Parallel supercomputing was first theorized in print as science fiction back in, on February 1, 1922. Practical parallel supercomputing was born in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States, and entered into computer textbooks as non-fiction and did so after I discovered it on July and discovered it on July 4 1989 it was at the International computer conference that took place on February 28 1990 at the then Cathedral Hill Hotel in San Francisco California that practical parallel supercomputing was officially upgraded from science fiction to reality. At that computer conference, I was given the top prize in the field of supercomputing and I was recognized for my contributions to the development of the computer. My contribution is this. I upgraded the parallel supercomputer from science fiction to reality. The rejections that I received prove one important thing, namely, parallel supercomputing was not obvious to the leading supercomputer scientists of 1989 and earlier. The idea of parallel supercomputing first came in print back on February 1, 1922, but practical parallel supercomputing remained a grand challenge until I discovered the technology 67 years later and discovered the technology across a new internet that is a new global network of commodity off-the-shelf processors and discovered the technology on my Eureka Moment of 8.15 in the morning of July 4, 1989 in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States. When I began my quest for the fastest supercomputer technology, I didn't have a supercomputer per se. I used a parallel processing ensemble that's a new internet de facto, and that's defined and outlined by 65,536 central processing units that were equal distances apart from each other, and that shared nothing between each other. The supercomputer community of 1989, knew that each of my central processing units could only execute 47,303 calculations per second. That was the maximum sustained speed that I attained for the specific grand challenge problem that I was tasked to solve. In 1989, the leading minds in the world of supercomputer such as Gene Amdal and Seymour Cray, insisted that it will forever remain impossible to divide a grand challenge problem into smaller problems and then to parallel process that grand challenge problem and solve it across the slowest processors in the world and solve that grand challenge problem at the world's fastest supercomputer speed. In 1989, I was in the news headlines because I received the top prize in the field of supercomputing and because the supercomputing community deduced that I integrated 47,303 calculations per second per central processing unit and that I integrated those calculations across my new internet. That is a new global network of 65,536 central processing units. My supercomputer experiment of July 4, 1989, that made the new set lines, enabled me to reach the total supercomputing speed. Of 3.1 billion calculations per second, that was the fastest speed on record for solving a grand challenge pro solving grand challenge problems. That supercomputer calculation made the news headlines as a world record and was recorded in the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal. As a black supercomputer scientist that was born in Nigeria, Africa, I did not have the structural advantages that put Seymour Cray or Steve Jobs in their leadership positions and that made it possible for them to claim the credit for other inventors' inventions. In the past, it was a tradition in American science to reassign the credit for the invention of a black slave to his white owner. So it should not come as a surprise for me to say that vestiges from the past carried over to the present and that I was blackmailed and threatened to reassign the credit for my inventions to white non-inventors who could not give a public lecture. Of my inventions, and who've known me for seven years but yet could not even spell or pronounce my last name. Recently, Seymour Cray, the pioneer of vector supercomputers of the 1970s, was reassigned the credit for inventing the massively parallel supercomputer. Yet, it is well documented that Seymour Cray ridiculed, mocked, and dismissed the parallel supercomputer as a huge waste of everybody's time. In the 1980s, Seymour Cray taunted aspiring parallel supercomputer scientists and did so by asking them Quote, If you were plowing a field, which would you rather use? Two strong oxen or 1,024 chicken, 24 chickens. Unquote. Looking back to the 1980s, some scientists that fought to get the credit for my invention of practical parallel supercomputing were very self-regarding scientists and arrogant men with a strong sense of of self entitlement to getting undeserved credits. Some scientists were asked to apologize to Philip Emma for plagiarizing, stealing, and publishing his inventions as their inventions. I'm Philip Emma The grand challenge problems of supercomputing are the toughest problems arising in mathematical physics. The modern supercomputer is an instrument that must be used to solve the toughest problems such as general circulation modeling to foresee otherwise unforeseeable climate changes. In 1989, I was in the news headlines because I discovered how to solve grand challenge problems, and how to do so by dividing each problem into a million smaller problems and then parallel supercomputing them at lightning fast speeds and across as many processors. I was in the news headlines because I discovered how to solve once impossible problems and how to solve them across a new internet, That is a new ensemble of one million processors that represents the as many brains of a new virtual supercomputer. What sets the new supercomputer apart from the old computer are these. The new supercomputer occupies the space of a soccer field. The new supercomputer have the combined speed of 1 million processors. In essence, my supercomputer is built from the same processor that your computer was built from. The crucial difference between a supercomputer and a computer is that the 1 million processors inside that supercomputer are integrated to become one seamless, cohesive virtual computer that is super beyond super. This new supercomputer technology called parallel processing made the new set lines when I discovered it on the 4th of July 1989 and discovered it across. An ensemble of 64 binary thousand processors that were identical to each other, that were tightly coupled to each other, and that shared nothing between each other. A massively parallel supercomputer that must be used to solve the toughest problem costs up to $1.25 billion and occupies the space of a soccer field, and must be chilled to prevent its millions of processors or brains from overheating. In the 1970s and 80s, and since February 1, 1922, parallel supercomputing was on the drawing board. I worked alone on practical parallel supercomputing, and I did so at the time the technology was mocked, ridiculed, and dismissed as a huge waste of everybody's time. For 67 years, practical parallel supercomputing was a formidable foe of mathematicians and physicists. A teacher asked her students, what is Philip Emma noted for? My answer is this I invented practical parallel supercomputing, the vital technology inside today's supercomputers. Until 1989, using the parallel supercomputer, to solve a grand challenge problem remained in the realm of science fiction. Consider this, at a parallel-processed supercomputer speed of 1,000 million-billion calculations per second, it would take a person performing one calculation per second 31.75 billion years or nearly twice the age of the universe to solve a grand challenge problem that would take that supercomputer only one second to solve. Parallel processing revolutionized the way we think about the fastest supercomputers that must solve millions of problems at once instead of solving a grand challenge problem and solving it in the step-by-step serial processing fashion that was the prevailing paradigm since the programmable computer was invented back in 1946. The parallel supercomputer is a technological revelation that is standing the test of time. The parallel supercomputer is a critical technology that makes the impossible to compute possible to compute. For that reason, the stake on the new supercomputer was so high that the United States added a Russian supercomputer maker to its list of nuclear threats. It's a crime for a U.S. company to sell a supercomputer to a quote-unquote unfriendly nation. In China, it's also a crime to export Chinese supercomputer technology to the United States. In Japan, it's also a crime. For me, Philip Emma Gwale, who is a non Japanese To browse through the operating instructions of supercomputers that were made in Japan, even though I invented practical parallel processing as the vital technology that underpins every supercomputer that is made in Japan. It's a crime to export U.S. supercomputers because the parallel supercomputer is de facto a weapon of mass destruction. The fastest supercomputer provides the horsepower for secretly simulating nuclear explosions and doing so in parallel and across an ensemble of millions of commodity off-the-shelf processes that were tightly coupled to each other and that shared nothing between each other. That was the reason The United States government classified the parallel-processed solution of initial boundary value problems to be grand challenge problems. After all, solving this once impossible problem transcends abstract mathematics. The solution of the grand challenge problem of mathematical physics is a positive contribution to human progress. Thank you. Insightful and brilliant lecture.